Our passage today is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Hear God's word. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they were withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Communities downtown campus. And it's a pleasure to see you all this morning. Would you, would you please join me just in a word of prayer as we begin? Living God, we quiet our hearts before you. And we ask that you'd help us to hear your holy word with open hearts this morning. We ask that you would help us to truly understand what your word presents, because in true understanding of your word, this is where we grow into the fullness of the salvation you so freely offer in Christ. Grant to all of us that our hearts would be freed from the cares of this world that we've brought in with us this morning, so that we may hear your word in faith and so cherish it and live by it in all earnestness to your praise and honor. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray this morning. Amen. Well, at first blush, it looked like nothing more than giant cinder blocks that were part of an unfinished construction project. These strange islands of gray. Almost a mistake that was surrounded by this beautiful architecture, these beautiful buildings that spoke of a bygone age. I saw, but I did not see. Earlier in March, there was a few of us from Christ Community who were able to go and visit our global church partner in Berlin, Germany. Projekt Kirke is a thriving church plant seeking to engage a city that widely is considered to be the atheist capital of Europe. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to take on a historic walking tour, which was really fascinating as you think about history being institutionalized and its geography and its structures and how that continues to inform a worldview that's predominantly held by many who live in Berlin today. And while we were going about this tour, the first place we stopped was here, the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe. You see, so many of the German people and the nation of Germany as a whole has such great repentance over the pain and turmoil of years past. And so to communicate their repentance, they sought two artists. One artist is by the name of Peter Eisenman. He was an architect. And also another artist, Biro Hapold, who was an engineer, to create a monument, a memorial to remember. And on 4.7 acres near the entrance to Berlin, 
They were to create something that was to point to the pain, the abuse, the brutality of the past. And so, to the confusion of so many, what they do on this 4.7 acres is to, to construct merely 2,711 of these concrete blocks in a grid formation. You see, to the passerby, if you, you walk by this without any help of signage, it just looks like a parkour dream. <laughs> but if you actually walk into the memorial, the further you go in, you begin to experience something. You see, the path actually leads downward. And as you go further into the memorial, the light above you becomes more and more obscured. The temperature actually drops just a bit. And this cold dampness, it stings your bones. And as you're walking through, you begin to feel isolated. The, the, the rising structures make you feel disoriented. And as you see other people who are taking these paths beside you, they're there for a moment and then they're gone. They reappear and then they may not appear again. Which when you think to the time that is beckoning us to remember it, it captures the pain so brilliantly. I finally learned to see. Well, some 2,000 years after Jesus came, we find that the Jewish people are at the target, the very center of so much violence, once again, this time in the Holocaust. And what's so astounding is that those who claimed to follow Jesus, so many who claimed to follow Jesus, the same Jesus who says, love your neighbor as yourself, the same Jesus who went to a cross to die for the salvation of the world and then beckons us to pick up our cross and follow him. Even priests and pastors whose the name Jesus flowed off their lips and his teachings were a part of their Sunday gatherings week in and week out actually honored and celebrated some of these horrendous actions. And it begs the question, how can someone hear the good news of Jesus week in and week out and do this? If Jesus' good news is so good, why doesn't everyone embrace it? I mean, think about this. Why is it that there are so many who grow up in the church? People who listened about what Jesus has done from his word as it was read and it was taught, and yet there comes a moment where they turn their back on Christ and his purposes altogether. Why? The answer to this question is at the very center of our passage this morning as Jesus teaches us. And the center of the center is this. Hearing is always more than just listening. Hearing is always more than just listening. Now, we intuitively know this. We've been in conversations, right, where... There are people who, who tell us they're listening to us, but there's a stark difference between someone listening to us and the feeling of being heard. Because there's something more than just information transfer. There's more than just being able to repeat back to someone what you heard them say. There is a, there's a clear difference between just listening and hearing because hearing Jesus is more than just listening. Now, if you're new with us this morning, we've been walking through Matthew's account of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, specifically as Matthew begins to highlight what it means to now respond to this king. In the first century, they had to respond to Jesus, and today we have the same call. How do we respond to the king Jesus and his kingdom? And if we are ever to respond to him, we must first hear him. And hearing Jesus is always more than just listening. 
So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 13. If you're using one of our community Bibles off the back, it's found on page number 818. Now, up to this point, Jesus has been proclaiming the good news that there is a new regime coming, that the oppressed people of Israel will finally find freedom and it will upset Rome. The only problem is, is it doesn't look like the revolutions and the religions that so many held dear. And as we follow Jesus, it seems that every time he proclaims the gospel, every time he heals someone of sickness or forgives sin or casts out a demon, we get a glimpse of this completely other kingdom, the kingdom of God breaking in. The problem, though, is that not everybody's looking for change, at least not as all-encompassing as Jesus is seeking to bring. When people are experiencing Jesus, there are some that have questions, there are some that are getting worried, and then there are others who are vehemently opposed to everything that Jesus is seeking to do in his mission and who he is. And so with this kind of mixed bunch and the tension in the air, Jesus, we find him at the Sea of Galilee on the beach. <laughs> and this crowd gathers around him. And it begins to get so numerous that he has to get on a boat. And actually, if you go to the Sea of Galilee, the acoustics of that area help carry and so amplify his voice. And he speaks to this large mixed crowd and he tells them a story. And it goes something like this. There was a farmer, a sower, and he comes to his field and he does what is custom in that day. And he begins to toss the seed out everywhere he goes. Some of the seed, it falls on the hard path where he walks. And the hungry birds who are looking for a free meal, not the angry birds, but the hungry birds are looking for a free meal, and they follow him up and they snatch up the seed. Some of the seed, though, falls among some rocky soil. And the unique thing about the seed on the rocky soil is that it's so shallow that as the seed begins to germinate, you notice the growth almost instantaneously. It looks like some of the most promising crop at first. But then as the sun comes out and the heat begins to rage on in a Middle Eastern climate, it fries it because there are no roots, nothing to protect it. But then some seed also falls among what seems to be good soil. But as the seed germinates, so do thorns. And over time, those thorns, they grow alongside of the plant and they slowly suffocate the life out of that plant. At the very least, it's unhealthy to the point that it's unable to produce fruit. But in the midst of all the seeds that failed to start or failed to finish, there is one soil, the good soil, where the seed falls upon the soil and actually produces an outrageous harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, or even 100-fold in some cases. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And if you're standing in the crowd at this moment, this is all that you heard from Jesus. You could have listened to every one of his words and completely missed what he was seeking to teach. And if you're anything like me, you start asking the question, well, why these stories anyway? I mean, earlier in Matthew, we see that Jesus speaks very plainly with the people, right? The Sermon on the Mount is very clear. The call to follow him is very, very practically clear. But now Jesus begins to tell stories. Yes, it's true that in the first century, rabbis told stories to illustrate points. But the unique thing with Jesus here is that he doesn't always give the explanation to his stories. And so the interpretation is left wanting by many who listen. 
And the, the disciples here in verse 10, they ask the question we're all wondering. Well, why, Jesus? Why are you telling these crowds stories without giving them explanation? And Jesus' answer, it's, it's complex in the next few verses. But his reasoning is basically because he longs to help listeners get beyond listening. He longs to help listeners get beyond listening. And the question is how? Look with me here at our passage, beginning in verse 11. And Jesus answered them, to you, speaking to the disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, speaking of the crowds, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, which is a form of story. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Not everyone is privy to the unique characteristics of the kingdom of God. And this is for good reason. Because those who are listening, there are some there who are seeking to thwart the kingdom of God from breaking into this world. They like the status quo. They're actually benefiting off of injustice and are quite comfortable But then there are also those who are listening who long to know who Jesus is, who this Jesus, this man from Nazareth, actually is. And so in the midst of this tension, Jesus in all of his brilliance knows that the best stories actually reveal and hide. The best stories they reveal and hide. Now, much like that memorial in Berlin The more you long to know, the further you go in, the more you explore, the more you discover, the more you begin to experience and know what is being communicated. But the converse is also true. The less you long to know, the less you explore, the less you see. Another way of saying this is the best stories, they respect our freedom. They respect our freedom. You see, they challenge us to think rather than just telling us what to think. And Jesus didn't come to manipulate us. He didn't come to dominate us, but to invite us to come and to learn from him. And each person who's listening to this story has the opportunity to know more if they seek Jesus, if they so choose. And this is the rub right here in our passage. It reveals when we come to the best of stories, they reveal what we most desperately want. If you really want to understand Jesus, the opportunity is made available to you. But if you're listening with any other twisted desire, it is concealed. Jesus, in all of his brilliance, knows this. And as we listen, and as we come, Jesus then quotes verses 14 and 15, which interestingly enough, he says, all of Isaiah, his vocational role is now fulfilled in me. If you thought it looked very ominous in Isaiah's day, now it has reached an even greater fulfillment in me. And what is this? Now, Isaiah, we heard the passage actually read for us earlier as Ryan was leading us in worship. Isaiah, he has this unique experience as he experiences the holiness of God. And he says, woe is me. I am a, I'm a person of unclean lips amongst a people of unclean lips. And then God says, who shall we send? And Isaiah says, send me. And his vocational calling is really unique. <laughs> because as he is sent, God tells Isaiah that he is to go and to preach knowing 
knowing that people won't listen to him. It's like preparing for a presentation at work, knowing that everybody's just going to be checking their email. <laughs> Nobody wants that job, okay? And yet, as God sends out Isaiah, he says, look, I want you to know that everyone's heart is actually dull to the things of God, that when you go and proclaim, they're not going to want anything that you're offering, and yet still go. And Jesus says, now that is the paradigm of my ministry. When I come, I will speak, but their ears will be stopped, their eyes will be blind, their hearts will be dull. And he will proclaim mercy and grace, confronting injustice, even dying for the world, but so few will actually hear him, even though they've listened to his messages for years. And this is where our story reaches back into our initial question. If the good news of Jesus is so good, I mean, why doesn't everybody embrace it? And beginning here in verse 18, Jesus begins to tell us why. You see, in each one of these cases, we'll see that the greatest obstacle to us hearing Jesus, it actually has little to nothing to do with our ears and everything to do with our hearts, which we've seen time and again as we've walked through Matthew is at the very core of what Jesus has come to do is to transform our hearts. And so Jesus, he gathers his disciples away from the crowds and he begins to explain the parable. And here's the overarching scheme, okay? The, the parable, you see four different soils and each one of these soils represents a style of listening to the message of Jesus. And it's here we begin to see how there are many who have listened to the good news, but so few who have heard it. And as we walk through these four soils, I want you to ask yourself, begin introspection and in saying, what soil am I? What soil am I? So let's briefly walk through these together, looking at the first category of listening that Jesus explains in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Now the path is where the soil has been compacted. And this hard soil represents a hard heart. And listen, you can't hear with a hard heart. You can't hear with a hard heart. Now what does this look like on the ground? <laughs> well, as we see, the hard heart, it always keeps conversation about Jesus and what he's done in the realm of ideas, and it never lets it go below the surface. You may have curiosity in the abstract or the, the broad message of Jesus, but you never really open your heart to think, maybe this is possible. Maybe Jesus is the Lord of the universe. Maybe he's my Lord and he deserves my life. And this was the story of the Pharisees, isn't it? Intellectually very curious. They knew the ins and outs of the law. They listened to Jesus teach maybe more than anyone else. They saw Jesus heal people before them, and yet they never heard him. They never really opened their heart to the possibility that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and deserves their full allegiance. They responded to the king with rejection. And that may be your story this morning. Maybe you were brought by a friend. Maybe you were invited by a colleague. Maybe you've been given church a try for a little bit and you told yourself this morning when you woke up, okay, one more Sunday. Maybe, maybe there's something that really will convince me this Sunday. And every time you come to the text, instead of asking, what does this mean? You say, yeah, but, and you begin to disregard building up straw men and it's all about the world of the abstract and the argument and you just you find yourself hardened. 
please hear me, this opportunity to really hear the message of the gospel will not be here forever. And as you continue to reject and to reject and to reject, what we see here is finally that seed will be snatched up and your heart will become more dense, more compact, and hardened into eternity. There is a warning here. Listen, you can't hear with a hard heart. Let's look at the second category of listening that Jesus presents in verses 20 through 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Listen, you can't hear with a shallow heart. You can't hear with a shallow heart. This particular category of listening, it describes those who first When they heard Jesus' message, it felt good because you got excited about what you could be. You got excited about what God has done for you, but you never let the roots go deep. You see, you never really wanted Jesus to transform what you want. You just wanted Jesus to give you what you want. And when that doesn't match your timetable, slowly you begin to check out. You didn't want a Lord and Savior. You wanted a sugar daddy, and that's just not the way it works. And when you're under the heat of life and you have no roots, slowly you wither and you're fried. You see, those rocks that we have in the soil of our hearts are nothing more than the idols we've sought to bury that are keeping the roots from ever going deep. Those idols that we're afraid or we're stubborn or we're unwilling to surrender And the gospel hasn't delivered you what you wanted, whether it be a job, a relationship, a friendship, peace. And you've kind of lost that loving feeling. And you feel like you're losing your faith. But in reality, more than likely, what you're seeing is what you've had your faith in all along. And it wasn't Jesus, not deep down. It was in those stones that you've sought to bury, those idols that really have captured your heart. Listen, you can't hear Jesus with a shallow heart. Next, in verse 22, we see the third category. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This is where we finally see some genuine competition. You try to have shared space with the plant that has been, or the seed that has been planted, and these thorns. And listen, you can't hear with a divided heart. I think what's so striking about this soil over against the others is that it only reveals itself over time. It's after the seed has been planted. Actually, the roots seem to be going fairly deep, and as it grows, so does the thorns. And over time, slowly those thorns entangle the plant. Over time, slowly, they guard the light and its nutrients. And yes, you may be alive, but you're barely surviving and you're definitely not healthy enough to ever produce fruit. And so to the sower, you're worthless because you've been planted to produce fruit. Every sower, every farmer knows this. You're not there to just be pretty. You're there for food. And honestly, When we try to invite Jesus into the shared ownership of our life, Jesus, you you seem like you really know what you're talking about over here, but I think I've got this part down. 
Jesus, I, I like what you have to say here. This makes a lot of sense, but you know, honestly, I think I'm a little more right here. That was so first century. When you seek to do this shared ownership and you seek to have your cake and eat it too, to follow Jesus fully and somehow still have all the pleasures of the world, you're gonna find yourself miserable. At least when you had rocky soil, there was joy for a moment, <laughs> the text says. Here, you're miserable because you want two things that cannot coincide in perfect harmony. You're constantly trying to justify what it is you're doing or what you're not doing, and you feel guilt over what it is you're doing or what you're not doing. And the deceitfulness of riches have entrapped you, Jesus says, and it's choking the very life out of you. And so you pursue distraction after distraction. You pursue escape and you try to label it as rest when you know it brings anything but. And there's no flourishing that happens in a divided heart. Eventually, it'll cost you your very breath. Listen, you can't hear Jesus with a divided heart. But there is one soil, right? One good soil, only one, which is kind of sobering, out of four one soil, and it's here in this one soil that over time will stand the test of time. It reminds us of what Jesus said earlier, that broad is the pathway to destruction and narrow is the way to life. And it isn't proven like it does in the rocky soil where it sprouts up quickly. Actually, the seed goes deep and the roots go deep and actually transformation may not appear from the surface to be happening. Not as quick as we would like, but it's happening. And it ends in a glorious harvest. Look with me at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. What's the key characteristic of this soil? What defines it? It's more than just the absence of thorns and stones but it's the very presence of understanding that makes it distinct. Listen, seeking understanding is how we hear. Seeking understanding is how we hear. It is the one who hears the word and understands it. This becomes the defining characteristic of what it means to hear because understanding is not just being content to know the facts. It's being zealous to see how they fit together. It's not just being told what to think, but it's actually learning a whole new framework on how to think. It's letting Jesus challenge you, alter your worldview, and so change the way you live. And here, in the soil of a receptive heart that seeks to understand Jesus and his message, this is actually where the endurance to trials is made possible. When life happens, when pain, when pain comes... You hope against hope as you seek to understand the truth of the gospel, that this life is not all that there is, and actually that is core to our calling as followers of Jesus is to pick up our cross and follow him, that suffering is a part of what it means to be a Christian. And so you come following Jesus even in the face of trials, even in the face of unexplained pain. It's here that you see what could have ruined you, and you stand resilient. This is where the deceitfulness of riches is unmasked because you know the call to generosity is part and parcel with what it means to follow Jesus. And so we become the people we were designed to be who give ourselves away and find joy and flourishing. We have been cultivated 
to bring about a harvest to feed others. You know your heart. And as we sang right as we began our gathering this morning, we're prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And in constantly nourishing this understanding, we'll become the kind of people who reproduce, who create fruit. And the gospel will create so much fruit that it'll outgrow our understanding and our explanation as to something we've just done on our own. For some, it'll be 30-fold. Others, it'll be 60-fold. Some, it will be 100-fold. Within an agricultural context, 10-fold was a phenomenal harvest. And what Jesus is saying is he's going to do something miraculous in and through you when you begin to pursue the understanding of the gospel and how it actually reforms and reshapes everything about your life. As we know, we were never designed to live within the limitations of the flesh. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 8. That we now no longer live in the works of the flesh, but by the power of the Spirit and carry out His good works, empowered by Him. And listen, you know, as I look across this room this morning, many of you I know quite well. Many of you I know have heard and have understood. And I've seen the fruit in your life. One of the great joys of being a pastor is I am invited into spaces most other people aren't, given confidences that are a true treasure. And I've, I've witnessed the joy as eyes are open to the understanding of the gospel. I've, I've seen tears that were shed when people persevered through so much pain as they sought to understand the gospel. And as Jesus says to the apostles, blessed are you, for your eyes have seen what the prophets and so many righteous people before you have longed to see you are blessed and the harvest has really become a beauty of this church. It's continued to cultivate this city and the repercussions are felt across the world, even in our global partners. So thank you, thank you. And this is the life, a life that's characterized the seeking and understanding the gospel of Jesus where flourishing happens. Like the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe. You've sought, you've walked in. And it's more than just knowing the facts. You've experienced the truth and it's changed the very framework and how you see the world. Praise God. Isn't that something what you want in your heart? Isn't that what you long for deeply? And so as we end this story, the question each and every one of us should be asking when we're looking at this soil is asking ourselves is what soil am I anyway? If by God's grace he shows you that it is not good soil you see, but it is a hard heart. If by God's grace, when you look at your life, you don't see good soil, but you see the stones of desire that are keeping you from true love or thorns of deceit that are keeping you from genuinely flourishing, how do you become good soil? And step one to understanding the gospel is understanding who you are in the story. The bad news is that you're the soil. And soils can't change themselves. Soils can't cultivate themselves. Soils can't change whether they're stony or thorny or hard. But the good news is that there is one who can. The good news is there is someone who can work 
the soil. The good news is that there is only one who can come and till up our hard hearts. There is one who can come and remove those idols the size of boulders deep within our hearts. There is only one who can rip up the thorns of deceit. And it is the sower himself. He must become the gardener. To understand the gospel is to first understand that while we were yet sinners, while we had these stones in our hearts, while we were entrenched with thorns, while we were as hard as rocks ourselves, that is exactly when Christ died for us. That is exactly when he ripped up those thorns and twisted them into a crown that he would wear when he went to the cross and so was pierced for our transgressions. It is this Christ we come and celebrate that the tool he used to even till up our hard hearts was nothing more than the cross where he became our substitute and died in our place, dying the death we deserve to die. That we might know life. And then he was buried of all places in a stone tomb that those stones no longer need to linger in our hearts. And when he rose again, he comes offering life and life abundant, flourishing by the power of the Spirit that miraculous fruit might be true in each and every one of our lives as he seeks to make this world new, starting first with you and I. All we must do is believe in him. And so believing him, seek to understand him. And so this morning, my plea is that you would pray. Pray to the gardener that he would do his work in your heart. As you see the stones, as you see the thorns that are blinding your eyes, as best as you can, even if it's through a glass dimly, that you would ask Jesus to come and pull those thorns, to remove those stones, to till up your heart. Oh, because hearing Jesus is so much more than listening. He's calling. Whoever has ears to hear this morning, may you hear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do come before you. Full recognition that there's so much in our lives that we don't even know, that we are not privy to, that we don't see because the blindness of sin that still pervades us. Unaware of the arrogance and the pride and the pain that has hardened our hearts over years, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his magnificent work in pointing us to flourishing, pointing us to the gospel, pointing us to Jesus and his coming kingdom. God, we are helpless apart from your magnificent work and we pray you would do your work. No matter what soil we are this morning, as you seek to respect and so guide us into truth, may we have ears to hear and eyes to see what we are so often blind to. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the great sower. Amen. Amen. Oh,